Welcome back to the Path of Longevity show, and I'm your host, Dr. Robert Lufkin, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Stephen Sidoroff. Before we begin, I want to take a moment to tell you about some new free online masterclasses that Steve and I are offering. For example, we know that inflammation drives all chronic diseases and aging. That's why it's called inflammaging. But we're now learning that this inflammaging can be reversed. And one of our masterclasses will spell out the top four ways to reverse it. If you're interested, see the link in the show notes. And now back to this week's episode. One of the things we try to do on the show is bring the latest breaking technology in longevity and health. So get ready. Here it is. You've all heard of CGMs or continuous glucose monitors as, as they're known. They're very valuable uh, even for people who are non-diabetic as we've talked about before. Well, here's some cutting edge technology. This looks like a this looks like a CGM, but it's actually a CKM, which is a continuous ketone monitor. They're not available yet, but they're coming out soon. I'm going to be reviewing it on one of these podcasts, and I'm going to be using it in my coaching programs, and we'll talk about more how you can get them as well when they come out. Today, also, I'm so excited. This program is going to be all about longevity and our upcoming Longevity Summit, Reverse Inflammaging Body and Mind Longevity Medicine, where Steve and I interview 50 of literally the world's experts on longevity, and we get to hear the latest thoughts and the latest breakthroughs in longevity science for 2023. Today, we have a brief taste of it from uh, two mini talks that Steve and I give that'll give you a little bit of a flavor for the meeting. Links are down below. The The uh, program starts literally today. You can sign up. It's free. Uh, each day, there are seven or eight lectures for a whole week. So uh, please join us if you'd like. Otherwise, uh, either way, enjoy these next uh, presentations. In this segment, I want to share with you some more teaching points, and, and in particular, a lifestyle tool that I use in my coaching program to help people actually reverse inflammation in themselves. And this isn't something that I learned from a textbook or, you know, learned from teaching medical school necessarily, but this is actually what I, what I use for myself to reverse four chronic diseases that I had, which for which I was prescribed prescription medicines, but <laughs> that's a whole nother story that maybe we can get into in another time. But these lifestyle tips are something that you can do today, even while you're still enjoying the summit. So today, uh, the lifestyle approach I'm going to mention is nutrition. And it's arguably the most powerful medicine and lifestyle tool that any of us will ever use for our overall health. It's, it's more than all the others that, uh, that I'm going to be talking about. As mentioned before, the very act of, of taking food into our body during eating turns on the the acute inflammation response, this foreign matter. It's a normal, healthy response to the foreign matter entering our body. This becomes unhealthy, chronic inflammation and ultimately inflammation when we start to eat 
continuously whenever we're awake. So the first nutrition change I made was to stop driving my inflammation all the time by eating constantly from the beginning of the day till I went to sleep at night. So the first thing I did when I started brushing my teeth immediately after my dinner, and this helped me to end late night snacking just because I'm basically lazy. And I knew that if I snacked after I brushed my teeth, I'd have to brush my teeth again. So that was enough incentive to keep me uh, from eating again. So next, I, I eventually, I, I dropped breakfast. And for me, I actually dropped lunch. And today, I just eat one meal a day, on most days with my kids, and I've never felt better. Now, this depends and different people have different windows. And I'm certainly not recommending this for everyone. But um, I do recommend narrowing your eating window to at least 12 hours a day. If you could do that, that's great. It's even better if you can narrow it to six or, or eight hours. This alone lowered my inflammation. The next thing I, I looked at with nutrition was not when I ate, but actually what I ate. And so, of course, the key here is that some foods, certain food types drive inflammation more than others. Full disclosure, um, I'm not a vegan or carnivore or anything in between. I've experimented with all of those. And I, I think you can be healthy with either of those types of diet and most in between as long as you watch out for the things that I'm going to talk about right now. And the key is to avoid one type of food that drives inflammation most, and that's junk food. <laughs> Processed junk food addiction is so common today that when someone tries to eat a healthy food, it's often called going on a diet or even an eating, <laughs> even an eating disorder. So, what is junk food? It's it's the main driver nutritionally for inflammation. So how do we recognize junk food? Actually, most of the food that we see in, in our supermarkets today and practically all of the food in a 7-Eleven is junk food. And as someone pointed out, most of the foods consumed today uh, were not available 150 years ago. And interestingly, most of the chronic diseases that we all get and all of us will likely die of were also not present in the numbers that we see today back 150 years ago. So here's how I recognize junk food. Well, first off, it often comes in a container or a box. It's often a brightly colored box, and that is to attract children or adults who don't know any better. The box, if you look at it, may have certain health claims on it, things like uh, healthy, organic, uh, low-fat, keto. These are often placed there to fool other adults who, who don't know any better. But the real, the real key is the ingredient list. Most junk foods have a long ingredient list because they're necessary to have preservatives and other factors to have a long shelf life because junk food has to exist on the shelves for a long time. That's a key marker for it. So the three key ingredients that to watch out for are, first of all, sugar and refined carbohydrates. These drive inflammation, these drive insulin response. Um, so it's not just sugar um, and sweeteners, but also things like starches, bread, rice, uh, flour, these can all drive inflammation. So we want to we want to 
minimize those if we can. Now, what about fats? There are good fats and there are bad fats. The bad fats that drive inflammation are oils. They're processed industrial seed oils that have been given a healthy sounding name called vegetable oils when they're actually not very healthy at all. And you want to avoid, avoid these things like canola oil, uh, rapeseed oil and all and replace them with healthy oils like avocado, coconut or olive oil. And finally, the last thing is grains and cereals. Um, grains contain uh, gluten as well as other proteins, um, as well as glyphosates, which are herbicides. And all of these things can drive inflammation and drive antibody responses, which increase inflammation and inflammation. So try and avoid all of, all of these things. That's that's to what to look out for for junk food. Now. If narrowing your eating window isn't really your thing and you like eating all the time and maybe you can't give up junk food because, well, let's face it, junk food is literally designed to be addicting and most people struggle giving it up. I'm going to share with you one last thing you can do uh, as far as nutrition that will actually lower inflammation without doing these last two. And that's um, to pay attention to food order. Now, there are three uh, major macronutrient groups that you may have heard of called fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are the worst because they drive the inflammation response and inflammation. Proteins and fats do this much less so. So one trick you can do is take the same diet that you normally eat, but make sure that you eat the carbohydrates last. And what this does, if you eat the fat and the protein first, it coats the GI tract and actually slows down the absorption of these potentially harmful sugars and carbohydrates that drive inflammation and slows down the inflammation and actually protects against it. So the protein and the fat lines the gut and delays the absorption and gives you some protection from these uh, harmful carbohydrates. Well, that's it for today's mini talk. I hope you can enjoy the rest of today's program and we'll see you later. When I made a change very early in my career from brain research into clinical psychology, I recognized right away that one of the most important modulators of how we felt was stress. The more stress we placed on ourselves, the more difficult it was to cope and the more difficult it was to feel okay. We talk about how diet plays a significant role in inflammation. Stress triggers a cascade of body responses, including release of cortisol and, and adrenaline, muscle tension, and the activation of the sympathetic nervous system that also contributes significantly to inflammation. The stress response is an adaptive response. It prepares us for action and within limits, it actually enhances our ability to focus and to perform. But just as you are learning that acute or short-term inflammation serves a purpose, but on a chronic basis, it causes damage, the same thing is true about stress. We are designed with two branches to our nervous system. The sympathetic branch activates for the fight or flight response whenever we feel any kind of threat. But 
we also have a parasympathetic branch of our nervous system that needs to be engaged after a stress is over to help the body recover and restore the resources used during the stress response. If you're like me, I encounter many stresses throughout the day. But what's important to realize is many of the stresses that we have in our day are self-inflicted. If you misinterpret an expression on someone's face and think they may be upset with you, this will trigger the stress response. If you're worried about someone judging you or worried about how you're going to perform, this too will trigger your stress response. If you grow up in an environment that feels dangerous, as an adult, this is what you will expect in your life. Danger, which can actually activate your stress response on an ongoing basis. So let's let's think about how you start your day. If you wake up in the morning and you think about what can go wrong, you are setting your body in one direction of ongoing stress response. If on the other hand, you wake up in the morning thinking about what can go right, you're sending your body in a totally different direction, one with a lot less stress. And again, this is based on our history. This is based on our lessons of childhood. So now think about all the situations in your day and your life that trigger the stress response quite a bit. But how many times in your day is there something that happens that triggers the opposite response, that triggers a sense of safety, security, everything's okay, which then engages the parasympathetic? Very few. So this ongoing continual activation of your stress response is what contributes to the inflammation of your body. It also is what throws your body out of balance. I like to say that our bodies are our instrument and how we age, how we deal with the stresses in our lives is, is based on how well our instrument is tuned. This is at really at the heart of the mind-body connection. Stress is a main connector between our mental, psychological, and our physical life and physical symptoms. Your history, your evaluation of your own abilities and dangers in your environment are all factors in how stressed you are in your life, and this translates into inflammation and inflammaging. Stress and your stress response are survival and evolutionary mechanisms. We don't take chances with survival. And that's why the stress response trumps everything else. We don't take chances. If there's a possibility of danger, we mobilize and prepare for it. And so here's where the lessons of childhood, childhood wounding, in other words, psychological factors play a role. Here's where the mind connect, body connection come together. When you have emotional wounding, more situations in your day are experienced as stressful, and potentially you feel less capable of handling the situations that you encounter. All of these things contribute to the balance in your body between stress and recovery. In other words, the appraisal of threat is a function of these lessons and your history. This is what determines what you respond to. 
you can handle a stress really well. In fact, a lot of successful people do well in handling the stresses in their lives. But if they're then switching immediately to another source of stress or thinking about what can go wrong, it doesn't matter how well you handle the stress, you're still going to get overloaded in this balance between sympathetic activation, parasympathetic recovery. As we head into day two of our program and focus more on the psychological factors in the mind-body connection, there are a few thoughts I want to share with you to best utilize this information. First of all, I will suggest that most of you have really been trying your best to manage your stress. And so it's important not to beat up on yourselves if you're having difficulty. What I'm suggesting to you is that this is a, a consequence of training and learning. So to start off with, wherever you're at right now, do your best to be accepting of where you're at. Next, and this if this is the case, and this is most important, realize that it took a lifetime to get to where you are today. So our early learning experiences literally designed the circuitry in our brains and how we live our lives. And then every time we followed in that pattern, in those footsteps, in those lessons, we strengthened those neural circuitries, those neural networks, reinforcing those patterns. And so as you start on the path to healthier living, it's important to be accepting of where you're at and to in particular, to realize that change is a developmental process. And as a developmental process, it means that you want to find ways of getting on the path each day, remembering to take certain steps each day uh, in order to start developing new and healthier patterns. At the same time, you want to begin identifying some of the old behaviors, old thinking, old patterns that no longer serve you. And a key part of this process is to begin noticing and saying no to those thoughts, those judgments, so that you have the opportunity to shift into healthier learning, healthier behaviors. And I'll talk more about this as the week goes by. So, Again, welcome to the second day of the program. This is for general information and educational purposes only, and it's not intended to constitute or substitute for medical advice or counseling. The practice of medicine or the provision of health care, diagnosis or treatment, or the creation of a physician-patient or a clinical relationship. The use of this information is at their own, uh, own user's risk. If you find this to be on the value, please hit that like button to subscribe to support the work that we do on this channel. And we take the, your suggestions and advice very seriously, so please let us know what you'd like to see on this channel. Thanks for watching, and we hope to see you next time.